So we're going to uh, start off with maybe keeping things a little lighthearted. Do you guys like movies? Any movie buffs here? Any movie buffs online? Put your hands up. It's okay. We're movie buffs in my family. We, we love giving movie lines. I don't know if you do that, but we, we've done that as kids, and I would do it with my kids. Uh, this morning, I'm going to start off with a movie line. And uh, if you're uh, 30 years or younger, you're not going to know this movie unless you're an avid, avid fan of it. Um, but if you grew up in the 80s as a kid, my guess is you'll know this line. It's from the great animated movie Transformers. And in Transformers, the man named Optimus Prime, he's really not a man, he's just kind of the, the, the leader of the Autobots. He's beating his enemy, and then he looks at his enemy, and he made, made this statement that has survived 30, almost 40 years of my life. And it's, he says this, he says, I thought you were made of sterner stuff. And it's funny, you know, you hear it when you're a kid, but for some reason that, that kind of lasted with me. And to be completely honest with you, over the last few months, um, that line continues to ring in my heart and in my head, and uh, in particular about the state of um, Christianity and Christians in particular in, in, in the United States. Is, uh, what we have been through the last year has by far been the most difficult thing that many people have been through, uh, maybe for their entire lives and maybe in the, lives, uh, the rest of their lives to, to live, to come. Um, it's been difficult. <clears throat> but I look at how we're re reacting and how we're behaving, and I say we, I, I'm talking about Christianity as a whole in America, and I keep asking myself, I thought you were made of sterner stuff. Like, I, I know things don't go the way we intended to go. No one wanted to, to live through a pandemic, and however you voted in November, if it went your way or didn't go your way, or, or you know, masks, I, I never thought we'd be so divided over something like masks or churches opening or closing, and I, I just, I, I keep looking back over all these things that have been happening and things that we've typically avoided in conversation over, over the last few months because it, it seems to be so volatile for people. And I, I got off social media because all I saw was hate and badgering and, and people that used to be known for love and caring are now attacking and, and it just seems so vile. And, and I just kept thinking to myself, I, I thought you were made of sterner stuff. Like, isn't, isn't your faith supposed to be so solid that, that nothing can shake it, that, that regardless of what the world throws at it? I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure if, if we're reading the same Bible, Jesus made those declarations to us. I thought you were made of sterner stuff. I thought your faith was supposed to be, be the one solid thing, that, that regardless of what life or the world or, or a virus could throw at you, your faith would be the thing that would survive. Your faith would be the, the one constant, the one solid, the one thing that you could look back on. And that's Siri agreeing with me. <clears throat> the one thing we could look back on, and, and I'll say, yes, it, it stinks. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, I, I don't enjoy it. But it doesn't shake me. It doesn't rock me. My world isn't falling apart because of it. And what I've begun to see, and, and perhaps if, you've, if you have Christian friends or, or maybe, you know, it, it happened in, in your own family, as, as what we've seen in the past few months, we've, I've begun to see something exposed in Christianity that, that to be honest, worries me. And, and in some regard, our reaction actually sickens me. Because that is not the faith that Jesus gave us. Our faith was made of sterner stuff. Our faith is supposed to be as tough as nails. It's going to be a heavy message. Right out of the gate, I told you, it's going to be heavy. You're going to have to roll with me this morning. <clears throat> when I was, um, had dreams of planning this church, this is years ago, before we ever planned a journey, <clears throat> I had talked to my pastor about my dreams of planning the church, and he sat me down one day after praying, and he said, Jim, I feel like God wants me to tell you this. He said, I, I feel like, like God's going to test your mettle. Like God wants to see through this process what you're made of. He, he wants to steal you. Do you know what the word metal means? And I'm not talking about metal like M-E-D-A-L. 
I'm talking about metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, metal. You know what that means? Metal is the courage to carry on. God wants to see if you have the courage to carry on. Yes, it's going to be difficult. And to get here, it was a difficult road. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But he wants to test your metal. He wants to see if you have the courage to carry on. And my guess is what we've experienced last year in 2020 and in politics and race and in the pandemic and every issue that kind of bubbled to the surface over the last 12 or 13 months. I think as Christians, God wants to know, do you have the courage to carry on? Whether it goes your way or it doesn't go your way. Are you going to be a sore loser or are you going to be a proud winner? Like, Do you have the courage, regardless of what happens, to carry on? And that's my hope for us is that through this, we would have the courage to carry on. That, yes, our faith might be tested, but our faith was supposed to be faith as tough as nails. So here's the question I've been asking. What happened to our faith? What happened to our faith? In 2015, you may remember this if you were around for that long or interested in world news. In 2015, we had some awful terrorist attacks happen, and it was one of the, the first big ones that, that, that hit nationally and really affected us, and it, it happened in Paris. You might remember this. and You were probably riveted and stuck to your TV, TV wanting to know, and, and the thing that's interesting is, is that this wasn't like the first terrorist attack to ever happen, but it was the first one that really kind of hit home for, for many people in, in first world countries, in people, countries like America and Europe and, and, and Canada. Because for, for years, we've been hearing about terrorist attacks. I mean, really, you, you, you just heard about it all the time. But it never happened in Paris. It never happened, you know, where we live. It happened over there. But for some reason, whatever happened in Paris, when it happened in Paris, it felt like it happened here. It's like no matter what we heard of beforehand, our sympathy, our empathy, it kind of had, had some borders almost. Like, yeah, I feel bad, but, you know, America's not like a third world country. We're not like the Middle East, and we're not like with those places where it happens. And then it happened, and it happened here. And what's happened since then is we've kind of grown accustomed to it, right? There's been other attacks, like in San Bernardino, and then we heard of another attack and another attack. And it's almost like, like it, it, it's, it's given us this, <clears throat> this uh, hardness, this callousness to it, where it doesn't even affect us anymore. But it has affected hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people worldwide for years and years and years. As a matter of fact, in 2015, there's a man, uh, his name is David, uh, I think, let me flip it up here so I get his name right. <clears throat> his name is David Curry. David Curry runs an organization called Open Doors. In, in, in 2015, he says, uh, this whole organization basically is to keep track of um, <clears throat> Violence, hate crimes, persecutions, martyrdom of the Christian religion. 2015 was the worst year for Christians ever. In 2015, over 7,000 Christians were persecuted for their faith, were executed or killed. In 2015, 2,400 churches were destroyed for being Christian churches. And 2015 was a really bad year, but it wasn't the only year. 2016 and 2017, they were were runners-up. And what's happening around the world is awful, and it's terrible, and it's things that should never happen. Religions attacking religion, because the same religion, because they feel like they're not conservative enough, and they're not doing the religion the right way. But it's awful. As a matter of fact, David Curry makes this, this statement. I thought it was a really interesting, although horrible statement. We are just off our game this morning. I apologize. Can you just... 
We'll wait. See, God knew you needed something lighthearted because we're already getting heavy. This statement's just going to make it worse. David Curry recently made this statement. He said, the level of exclusion, discrimination, and violence towards Christians in some countries has risen to the level akin to ethnic cleansing. That in some places around the world, even right now, the persecution towards people because they believe or they follow Jesus or claim to be a Christian, the violence acted towards them, the pressure from from people, from family, from government to, to withdraw from Christianity because of their faith is so real, it's a level akin to ethnic cleansing. But we don't feel that here. It's not what it's like living in America. And, and, and some of you might feel that, that that's what's about to happen. That new legislation is being rich, written to, to, to persecute Christianity and belittle us and, and move us out of the center because at some point we were kind of in the center of politics. We were in the center of this nation. That, that, that legislation was written because of, of how we believed and how we lived. And, and now we're kind of moving past that. And, and maybe that's true. But it's not this level. But here's the interesting thing. Even if it were this level, our faith was created in such a way to survive and to last even that. Our faith was given to us in such a way to, to outlast even something like this. Our faith was given to us from an incredible man who survived horrible events. Things we, we don't even want to talk about. Things that if we were to get into detail, it would send you running for the door and covering your kids' ears and, and, and maybe some of you even running for the bathroom. Horrible, horrible things. But faith survived. And now we find ourselves as Christians asking the question because some fear has creeped in and our security feels like, like it's beginning to wane and slip out from underneath us. And we wonder how much security is enough, how much, how much safety is enough, how, how, much, how many bullets are enough, how much food is, is enough, how, how, much, how, how strong can I be at, at, at protesting and aggressing because of my faith or my, or my family. And as an individual, you're going to have to settle that. But as a Christian, we have, we have a, a deeper level of understanding here. See, because as a Christian, there's this religious thread that carries through all of this. As a Christian, if you find yourself a Christian, you, you, you agreed to this. If you're not a Christian, the good news is there's something that we believe in the Gospels that is so hopeful that it's even for you, that even if you were to apply it, it would work for you. But as a Christian, we believe in the Gospels that Jesus specifically addressed this kind of an event in a very helpful way. So whether you're a Jesus follower or not, this is for you. If you are a Christian, this is absolutely for you. Even if you're joining online and you're sitting at home, this is absolutely for you. Either way, you're going to have to decide, how do we respond to this anxiety? How do we respond to this kind of fear? When it creeps up, when, when it's everywhere, you turn on the news or social media or movies, it's just, it seems like the fear is everywhere. And in addition what's happening all around the world and in our country. Many Christians, many Christians need to decide, what, how do I respond? How do I respond to this? How should I, as a Christian, respond to the fear and anxiety, to the worry, to the panic, to the terror, to the reactions that are going on in my world? So what I want to do is, for the next few weeks is, is basically try to answer that question. As a Christian, how do you respond? To begin the discussion, I want us to go all the way back to the beginning. And this isn't the beginning of the Bible. We're not talking about the beginning of time. 
I want to go back to the beginning of Christianity, to an event that, that everybody, whether you've been in church or you've not, you've not been in church or you've just come back to faith as an adult, <clears throat> that everybody kind of understands and knows. And, and if you, you don't understand this, or maybe you haven't heard of this before and this is your first time, we're going to talk about the death of the person who started Christianity. The, the man who was, this event that it was founded on, that, that one man did something. He did something that nobody else has ever done before. And it started the beginning of the church, of the beginning of this movement, the beginning of the way. We're talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. In the event, we see the standard that has been set for all of us who choose to follow Jesus. And we forget this. We forget this because we live in America, right? We live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. We live with all of this religious freedom. So for, for years, for, for generations, we've been able to live and to practice our religion however we want. We've never seen it to this degree. But to the very degree that our Savior walked through it, he set the example and the standard for us. That when persecution comes, when fear comes, when anxiety comes, here's how we should handle it. Fortunately, and I say fortunately, because fortunately, we've not had to lean into this as Christians in America yet. We've been blessed to live in a country, live in a place with religious freedom, live in a place where we are free. But there may come a day when there's some pressure. There may come a day when there's some, some, some violence. There may come a day where it's difficult to follow Jesus. And what happens when that day comes? Maybe, perhaps, we're at the beginning of that. In the beginning, in the beginning, the founder of our faith. Jesus, in the beginning, the author of our faith, the savior of the world. In the beginning, the man who's at the center of Christianity was betrayed by a friend. He was unjustly arrested, and he was illegally tried and convicted. The witnesses were ultimately bribed. The judge was ultimately bribed. Jesus was flogged. And I use the word flogged here because I think sometimes we think Jesus was tortured. But in our culture, when they talk about torture, torture is more indicative of, I need some information out of you, so we're going we're gonna to put some pressure. We're going to hurt you a little bit to get some, some information. This wasn't the case at all. Jesus wasn't tortured. He, he was flogged. Maybe you heard the word scourged. He, he, he was beaten in such a horribly graphic way. I mean, it, it, was, it, when it was only used, not to get information, but to please a crowd. I mean, that's what the gospel writer tells us. That's what, how, how Mark tells us. You remember Mark? He got his information from Peter. Mark says it this way, that wanting to satisfy the crowd. Why did this happen? Why was Jesus scourged? To satisfy a crowd. Pilate, the governor of Judea, who oversaw basically the, the, the whole case against Jesus because the Jews didn't have the authority to put him to death. Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged. On this festive day, Pilate, to appease the crowd, he released Barabbas, this criminal who kind of had this mythos built up around him. To appease the crowd, he released Barabbas, and he had Jesus flogged. And flogging was a horrible thing. You know, and I know sometimes we're, we're kind of victims of what we see. So we're victims of art and movies, and, and in art and movies, it looks like it's just a whip. And, you know, in, in recent times, it's gotten a little, a little worse and a little more graphic. But I got to be honest, it doesn't even touch what this was like. These were two Roman centurions who, who were skilled, and there was skill involved in this because the purpose of this was to enact as much pain as possible without killing the victim. They, they had a, a handle that was about a, a foot long, and they had <clears throat> leather straps that would come off six to eight feet, and they were 
chips of bone and, and rock and glass in it. And they would, they would whip and it would wrap around the body. And as they yanked, it would, and I'm sorry to be so graphic, it, it would mutilate the flesh. It was literally used. The, the victim's hands were tied up around a pole and the body was stretched out to enact as much physical pain as possible. Why? To satisfy the crowd. This is what our Savior went through. And after so many lashings that his body was mutilated, he was then taken down from the pole. He was taken back to headquarters. And Pilate's men decided they'd have a little more fun with the king of the Jews. The man who stands at the epicenter of Christianity, the man whose name in which we gather every single Sunday all around the world, millions gather to honor his name. They bring him back. Matthew tells us, they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. I mean, could you even imagine what this would look like? They put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted a crown of thorns. That, that famous, that picturesque crown of thorns that we've kind of romanticized. Have no idea what it was like. And they set it on his head. We think, well, that wouldn't hurt too much. It's just kind of setting on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. And they knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. Then they proceeded to spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head, on the thorns, driving it into his head again and again. If that wasn't enough, Pilate gave Jesus the maximum sentence. No mercy. You need to know this. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Romans perfected crucifixion. Crucifixion was designed not to kill a man, but to keep a man alive as long as possible, to prolong the agony as long as possible. The idea was that there would be shame and there would be so much pain that it would be public. And that anyone who, who would walk by and would see a crucifixion would immediately feel fear, feel levels of fear that we aren't even comfortable with. So they would never cross the Roman Empire. Again, these, these are all kinds of theories. But <clears throat> if I went into detail, you'd be tempted to leave the room. You might be tempted to turn off the broadcast or turn off the channel or cover your ears. But the level of pain it was meant to enact on a victim was, and, and shame was horrible. You, you didn't die on a, in crucifixion because of blood loss. You died because you couldn't breathe. It, that's really what happened. They, they would drive nails in between bones to hold the pressure so that you wouldn't be released. They would stretch you out, sometimes on scaffolding. They'd put a nail in your foot just to give you enough pressure to prop yourself up to take a breath. And after so much exhaustion... You couldn't prop yourself up, so you would suffocate. And in our, our minds, we kind, of, we kind of built this up because every time the imagery is cast, there's this really tall cross, like they're, they're feet up in the air, three to four feet off the ground. But in reality, it wasn't like that at all. They, they were but mere inches from the ground so that those who were witnessing the crucifixion, the perpetrators of this, could look the victim in the eye and mock them all the way up until the point of death. It was to bring the most shame and the most pain imaginable on the victim. This is what our Savior went through. Eyewitness accounts recount what happened to Jesus. Matthew tells us, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Come down from the cross if you really are the Son of God. Look, he saved others but he can't even save himself. And let's not forget, Jesus wasn't captured running for the hills. 
Jesus wasn't captured trying to make his way out of Jerusalem into another town to, to blend in with the Jews. Jesus wasn't captured hiding in, in, in the same caves that, that David hid in when he was trying to escape Saul. Jesus wasn't captured trying to get on a boat in the Mediterranean to, to, to escape the warrant out for his arrest. No, your Savior and my Savior, Jesus, was bold. Jesus got on a donkey and he rode right into the city of Jerusalem, knowing full well what he was about to encounter, knowing what, what, what we just described awaited for him. Jesus got on a donkey and drove down Main Street in broad daylight. Your Savior was bold. Your Savior was strong. His faith was, was strong. The world threw the best they could at him, but it didn't shake him. It didn't rock him. It didn't send him running. He didn't retaliate with hate and anger. His faith was as tough as nails. To be honest, his faith was tougher than nails because even death couldn't stop him. See, part of our problem when we think about Jesus is, is all the art we've seen. And, and art is, is wonderful. I'm not knocking art, but artists are kind of limited to, to their times. There's all this medieval art about Jesus, and some of it's very good, and some of it's I don't think is very good. We have this, this image of Jesus. If you grew up in church or you, you've watched old movies, we, we, we kind of paint Jesus to look at something like this. Your Savior didn't look like that. That man couldn't do what your Savior did. Your Savior survived. Your Savior was strong. Your Savior was bold. He was fearless. He looked death in the eye, and they didn't waver. See, I don't know who you'd cast as Jesus. I don't have a, a great picture in my mind, but I can tell you this. Our Savior was strong. Our Savior's faith was solid, and not even death sent him running. Remember, and don't miss this. We, we've talked about this before. This is the same guy who stormed the temple days before his death, who, who walked in to the temple and, and saw the sin that was taking place, people that were selling uh, animals for sacrifice. And these animals were abominations, and they were, they were um, changing coins at such an exorbitant interest rate. It was absolutely unbelievable. This is the man who by himself walked in and flipped over tables and chased out the money changers all by himself. He wasn't a weak man. He wasn't a frail man. He was strong. I mean, so much so that when, when, when the Pharisees, when the religious leaders approached him afterwards, they walked up to Jesus and they said this to him. They said, they didn't say, Jesus, <clears throat> what do you think you're doing? You know, you didn't want to mess with a guy like Jesus. They looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Because there was, there was something different about his presence, about his countenance. He, his, his eyes, they just had this, they kind of oozed authority. There was just something different about him. Your Savior was bold. Your Savior was fearless. He was braver than hell. He was stronger than steel. And in the end, he proved to be tougher than nails. And he extended an invitation to his followers. It's the same invitation he extends to you, and he extends to me, and he extends to those of you watching online. Follow me. Follow me. You see what I just did? I want you to do that. I want you to look death in the eye and not be scared. I want you to look your accusers in the face and even show kindness and love. Follow me. You remember this? He says this to his, his disciples. He says this to, throughout all generations. 
Whoever wants to be my disciple, my, my follower, my learner, they must deny themselves. They must come to a point in their lives where, where they say no to me to say yes to Jesus. That I must come to a point in my life where I would say, Jim, there's going to be times in my life where I have to say no to, to what I want, no to my desires, no to my will. Because sometimes Jim's will and Jesus' will are going to be in conflict. And you said at some point you've got to get used to saying no to you to say yes to me. He would say to you at some point if you want to be my follower, my disciple, You've got to be willing to say no to you, to say yes to me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. We see this as jewelry. We see this as images in church or things on top of a steeple, if you grew up that way. First century Christians didn't see this as that. It wasn't a reminder of Jesus. It was a representation of death, of the worst kind of death imaginable. You want to be my disciple? You want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, you're going to have to follow me when it feels safe and follow me when it doesn't feel safe. You'll have to learn how to follow me, to, to, to deny yourself. Even when you're not going to get something out of it. You're going to have to follow me when it feels good and when it doesn't feel good. You're going to have to follow me when it feels helpful. And, you know, sometimes we have these messages where we talk about relationships and how to make better decisions and, and how to be a better husband. And you leave thinking, oh, that was so helpful. That was so good. I mean, I, I, my life feels so much better. He says, I want you to follow me in times like that when it feels helpful and times when it doesn't feel helpful. You're going to have to follow me when it feels good and when it might also hurt a little bit. You're going to have to follow me when it costs you nothing and even when it costs you everything. Follow me. Take up your cross. See, but Jesus knew us. He knew the heart of man. All throughout the Gospels, people would, would think questions. They wouldn't even get to ask it, and Jesus would give an answer before they could ask it. And I'm sure they thought, man, that's really weird. You see, but it's because I know the heart of man. I know your heart. I know what's going on. He would often, he knows the heart of man. He knows the, the, the questions that we ask. He knows our propensity for security, our propensity for safety. He, he built the heart of man. He knows that there's something in us that wants to protect ourselves and wants to protect our family. He understands all of that. He knows what's going on on the inside. And he ultimately, he told his disciples this. Remember before he was crucified, he, he went over this again and again and again. Because he knew what would be in our heart. He knew that there would be moments when fear would rise, when anxiety would rise, when it would feel debilitating, when it would cause us to do things we would have never done before. Remember what he says to his disciples? Do not be afraid of those who can only kill the body. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Don't be afraid of those who can, who, the only harm they can do to you would be to kill your body. Don't be afraid of that but cannot kill the soul. Rather, again, this is coming from Jesus. Rather, if, if you're going to be scared, if you're going to fear anything, if you're going to be afraid of anything, be afraid of the one, your heavenly Father, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. See, the truth is fear is going to come, but fear is an emotion. And fear might take us by surprise. And when it happens, Jesus is reminding us, remember this, don't be afraid. Don't give in to the fear. There is something to fear, but it's not that. Never allow your fear of someone or a group of someones to be the worst thing that could happen to you because the worst thing they could do, Jesus said, is touch your body. Fear the one who has eternal control of your soul and your body. That's who we should be afraid of.
there's this incident, and we've talked about this in church before. As a matter of fact, I think we talked about it about a month ago. But I think it bears repeating. <clears throat> Jesus is gathering his disciples, and like usual, he says, hey, guys, let's go and let's get in a boat ride. And these, are, these are our fishermen. These are men who were used to boats. They have boats. They were raised in boats. These were men of the Sea of Galilee. He says, hey, let's get in a boat. And let's go for a boat ride. And they head off <clears throat> across the Sea of Galilee. And as usual, something always happens when they get in a boat. I don't know why these guys keep getting in boats with Jesus. <clears throat> they got in the boat. They start making their way across the sea, and a storm comes. And where's Jesus? He's in the back of the boat under this scratchy wool blanket, asleep. My guess is, and this is just my interpretation. This isn't in the Gospels, but I'm guessing Jesus wasn't really asleep. I'm thinking he's got like the blanket pulled over his head like a little kid with a grin on his face, like laughing. I set this whole thing up. The winds come, the waves come. I mean, I don't even know how you'd sleep through that, right? Water's pouring into the boat. They're they're so scared. These men of the sea, they think they're going to drown. So they run to Jesus and they shake Jesus and and, and they wake Jesus up. You remember this? They're waking him up, but Jesus is probably sitting under the covers laughing, like, I'm not asleep. How could you sleep through this? I set this whole thing up anyway. But they shake him, and they wake him up, and Jesus wakes up. And you remember what he says? You remember what he says? He says this. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Because we're going to drown. Yeah, 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 I know that. Why were you afraid? Look at the waves. Look at the... We're going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but guys, you remember this. We've gone over this. Don't be afraid of something that can only kill your body, that can only harm your body. Be afraid of God who, who oversees your body and your soul. Why are you so afraid? Don't allow fear to grip your heart and take control. Yes, I can see that there's a reason to be afraid. There's wind and there's waves and you might drown. But that doesn't mean you have to be fearful. Then what did Jesus do? He gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men who were with Jesus, the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of a man is this, that even the wind and the waves respond to his authority, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Mark, who got his information from Peter, when he tells this story, he, he takes this Greek word for fear, th- this verb form and this noun form, and he kind of puts them together. And he says it this way. They feared a great fear. Their latter fear, the fear of Jesus, was greater than their former fear, the fear of the wind and the waves. And I think Jesus says, yep, that was the point. That's what I'm trying to tell you. You have nothing to fear in this world. Look, Jesus would say, if you're going to be afraid, be afraid of God. If you're going to be afraid of anything, fear God. Where fear starts to overwhelm you, when fear starts to, 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 to grip you, when fear starts to creep up in your heart, whisper to fear, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm opting not to be fearful. I'm opting to fear God instead. Jesus said, in the meantime, follow me. Don't fear what the world throws at you. Don't fear what politicians throw at you. Don't fear what a virus throws at you. Don't fear what your friends bring up in an argument on social media. Don't fear the the weird news that we're all kind of feeding into. Fear God and follow me. 
some of us today, this is extremely relevant. For others of us, we're, you know, we're thinking, really? Why? You know, I, I, I pray a prayer and God answers. I asked for a girlfriend, I got a girlfriend. I, I asked for a job, I got a job. I asked for a job near my girlfriend. I got a job near my girlfriend. Oh, that's great. So just log this one away for later. This is one of those instances where, like, it's really good to know how to change a tire before you have to learn how to change a tire. Put it away for later. But here's what all of us need to know. Uncertainty, uncertainty is unavoidable. Uncertainty is for certain. If there's one thing in life you can be certain of, it's that uncertainty is going to come. Moments of uncertainty are going to come. Moments just like we went through in the last year, they're going to continue to rise up. And the truth is, if Jesus is accurate, the more time goes on, the worse these events are going to get. The worse things are going to look. Uncertainty is completely unavoidable. But here's the kicker. Fearful is optional. Yes, there's fear. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should, that there should never be fear. There's fear. But being fearful of that fear, that's optional. And Jesus is trying to teach us over and over and over again. Don't fear the wrong thing. Don't allow fear in this world to grip your heart and overwhelm you and change who you were meant to be. We were meant to be light in the darkness. We were meant to be hope in despair. We were meant to bring joy for those who are mourning. Certainty is unavoidable. But being fearful, guys, that's optional. And here's the thing. It, it wasn't just Jesus. right? There, there are books upon books upon books of, of men and women who have faced uncertainty and weren't fearful. The entire, almost the entire New Testament, the majority of the New Testament, was written by a man named Paul. The Apostle Paul, you remember him, shows up on, on, on the, the stage the first time that somebody wants to, to murder Christians and then becomes a Christian himself. This guy was just, his life was radical. He went all around the Mediterranean preaching and bringing light to the darkness and, and hope to despair. And, and, and there were times that even the good news he was bringing, and, and guys, remember, that's the good news, that there's light in darkness and there's hope and despair. And there's just, like, all of that comes with the message of Jesus. We need to be bringers of good news, not bad news. For all of you social media warriors, remember that. We bring the good news, and Paul was bringing the good news. And even in bringing the good news, there were cities, there were towns that hated him. In one instance, they hated him so much because <clears throat> he was attacking idol worship, and these were pagans, and they liked idol worship. And then the Jews were there, and the Jews thought, you're not being a real Jew, you're practicing Judaism wrong. So these people rallied together and drug Paul out of the city and stoned him to death and left him for dead. What does that mean? It means that, that he would stay there and bleed out and the animals would, would feed on his corpse. And they left. We did a good job. Look, he's dead. As they walked away, Paul regained consciousness, stood up, dusted himself off, and went on his merry way. That's what our faith is built on. Paul, who later would continue to travel around, and as he would bring the good news, the Jews would continue to hate him. So much so that, that on one of his journeys, he was making his way back to Jerusalem. And his followers tried to stop him. Paul, Paul, don't go for, to Jerusalem. If you go there, they're waiting for you. It's a trap. It's going to end poorly for you. And Paul, who, who learned this, who learned, but guys, I'm not scared of that. If there's anything to be scared of, it's, it's being scared of my heavenly father, not of this world. They can only hurt my body but my soul lives forever. Guys, you might be right. This is the last time I'm going to see your face. But I'm not scared. 
And Paul willingly walked into Jerusalem and was arrested. And he continued to make his case. They didn't know what to do with him. They sent him to Rome because they had no idea how to handle this guy. And he brought the message of the good news even to Rome. And by willing to face down his own death, Paul brought the gospel one step further to the world who needed it. Guys, uncertainty is unavoidable. But being fearful, man, that's an option. It's an option that I think we could all look in the face of and say, I'm opting not to fear. I'm opting not to buy in. I'm opting not to listen. I'm opting not to be a part of. I'm opting not to take that side. I'm opting not to be fearful of this world and anything it can throw at me. But I will follow Jesus and I will fear God. We've talked about this doctor before, this, this incredible account that survived antiquity of a group of Christians who continued to suffer and face persecution. In, in Roman culture, you weren't allowed to touch a dead body. The only people who could touch a dead body is people who were bringing the body for burial. So when Rome made sport of persecuting Christians and would feed them to animals and gladiators in, in, in the Colosseum, doctors, physicians would wait on the sides. And as before the body would be fully dead, as in the, where they're in the process of dying, physicians would go and examine the bodies to learn something about, uh, about this part of, of life or they'd be approaching death and how the body responds. One doctor wrote an account of, of the Christians who were facing this kind of persecution that survived antiquity. And I've read it to you before, but it still, it blows my mind because this is just an, a representation of how, as Christians, our faith should be. He says this, for fearlessness of death, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them, the Christians, every single day. They don't fear death. They don't fear what's to come. They willingly lay their lives down for you, for me. And the story continued thousands of years, and here we are in church celebrating the same name, the same man who willingly faced persecution, who walked towards his death on my behalf and on your behalf. This man who was arrested persecuted and ultimately crucified for you and for me. Not so we could have some weak faith that anytime somebody on social media said something we didn't like, it retaliated in anger. Not so that we're cast to and fro by the winds of politics. So that our faith could be strong and solid and say, no matter what this world throws at me, I will not fear. I will follow Jesus and I will love and I will bring good news to every person I meet. So I have three questions to end. Three questions that I think you're gonna have to wrestle with, that I have to wrestle with. Three questions that I think I know the answer to. I got a good hunch. But as a follower of Jesus, they're questions you're gonna have to answer on your own. First question is this. Is our version of Christianity worth all that? Is our version of Christianity the version that we ascribe to, the, 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 thing, the reason we keep coming on Sunday mornings or viewing online and singing songs, is it worth all that? And I don't know what your version's like. I mean, maybe it's, you know, <clears throat> your biggest concern is, oh, I lost my car keys. You pray, you find your car keys, and you're so excited, you're under your small group. Guys, look, God answered my prayer, I found my car keys. Is your version of Christianity worth that? And I'm, I'm not trying to be heavy, let's just be honest. This topic is heavy. Is your version of Christianity worth dying for? 
the truth is, for many of us, we may never have to answer that question. It may never come to a place in our lives, in this country, in this world, that we would be persecuted or we would have acts of violence or have to give a drop of blood for our faith. But our Savior gave everything. Is your faith worth dying for? The last one is just kind of a reiteration of the first two. Is the way we live worth the price that they paid? I gotta be honest. Sometimes I don't think it is. But I think it should be. Our faith is greater and it's stronger than any of us dare to realize. And my hope is for you that one day you find it. That one day you would look fear in the face. When it creeps up and it bubbles up in your heart, it begins to to cause you to to shift your thinking or, or how you're feeling or how you're behaving. You would look fear in the eyes and you would say, fear, I will not give in. I will not be fearful. There is something greater to fear than even you. And it's my heavenly father. And until that day that I come face to face with him, I will follow him. And I will bring love and I will bring good news and I will bring restoration to every person I meet. Guys, that is a faith that changed the world. And it is a faith that can change the world again. And it is a faith that is tougher than nails. And it is a faith that if you follow Jesus, that you have and you are a part of. Don't give in to fear. Don't opt for fear. Opt for your Heavenly Father. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, this is so tough and it's so heavy and it's hard to make it through without feeling emotional. Words can't express the gratitude I feel for your son, for what he did on my behalf. That he loved me so much, he willingly walked towards that death. That he loved all of us so much that the penalty he would pay physically, the harm, the pain, the shame, we were worth it. I pray, Lord, that we would realize how strong our faith is, that it was founded on a man and on an event that changed history. God, that no matter what this world throws at it, and it might get worse for us, God, no matter what comes our way, we can be strong. We don't have to be fearful. We can follow Jesus. Would you give us courage, Lord, the, the, the metal, Lord, the courage to carry on, even when things don't go our way, even when we get upset, even when we feel let down, even when we're discouraged, even when fear and anxiety build up. God, would you give us the courage to carry on? Would you give us the wisdom to see, Lord, that through it all, you are with us? I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts, God. I thank you that you have a plan for everything that we've encountered and experienced and we're going to experience. And I pray you would begin now to show us what that plan looks like. In your son, our Savior's name I pray.